Welcome back to chapter two of the Young Enterprises podcast. We are the end-to-end mentorship platform for enterprising students to unlock their careers. Everyone wants to be three to five years ahead in their life. Where do you want to be? I'm Jack Hildebrand with my co-host, Al Kagopian. This is the Healthcare Industry Month. Happy to have you guys back. I hope you're excited because I know I am. On this episode, we had a conversation with Rafi Chimanian and Caroline Singer. They're only 33 and 35 years old, working as co-CEOs of Prime Surgical Centers. They have multiple practices based in Los Angeles and have grown the company to a $220 million valuation. During this episode, we take a deeper look into their day-to-day roles, learn some leadership and operational management strategies, company culture, their crazy adjustments to the supply chain during COVID, and we even talk about surgical robots. Can you guys believe that? Robots doing surgery on humans? I guess it's been around for a while. Make sure to visit our website at youngenterprises.us where you can sign up for the newsletter and even enter your phone number to receive notifications when episodes drop. Don't forget to check out the first ever Young Enterprises Business Communications Industry Career Guide dropping in a week. Then, at the end of this month, we'll be dropping the Healthcare Industry Career Guide. It will be a complete summary of our interviews and insights packed with resources and advice for anyone hoping to get their foot in the door with these industries, formatted into a quick and digestible read. Also, you guys know us here at Young Enterprises, we don't pay for advertising. So if you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe, leave a five-star review, or share our content with your friends and family. So first question for both of you, could you give us some background info on Prime Surgery Centers, what your business does, and since you were both recently promoted to co-CEOs, could you tell us a little bit about your day-to-day roles? Sure. Yeah, we're a surgical firm in Southern California. We own and operate a chain of facilities. We do all types of specialties except for brain and heart put it simply and um and that's about it we're a physician owned um you know not physician owned or partnered uh surgical facility outside the hospital so what happens is these these uh, surgeon groups they're private practice surgeon groups they'll see patients that may or may not need surgery if they need surgery they'll decide where they want to perform that surgery and whether or not the facility is equipped to do the type of surgery they want to do. And we have robots in all of our facilities. So if it's a robotically guided procedure, whatever it might be, they like the gear that we have, the equipment, the instruments or the supplies, they might choose to come to one of our facilities. Caroline? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Rocky explained it as clearly as we can. I mean, I think most anybody that you know, you've probably known to have gone through experience of having some sort of a surgery, especially, you know, Alec with it being in sports and all of that. So if somebody's broken a bone or anything, realistically, they've done it in a surgery center. Uh, ours are a little bit different in the aspect that some surgery centers are connected to a hospital, right? So if you're like, oh, my, my friend or somebody that I know actually went to the hospital, I'm sure they did, but they did it in an outpatient setting. So mm-hmm. all of our facilities are considered outpatient surgery centers. 
And basically what that means is that it's any surgery that doesn't require um, an overnight stay. So anything that requires more than 24 hours, right? Um, we do, you know, everything under the sun, people do spend the night at times, but it stays under the ticker of 24 hours. Uh, you guys have robots that can do some of your surgeries? That's crazy. Yeah. The robot technology came out a long time ago. I, I say a long time ago, probably about 15 years ago. Uh, it's gotten a lot more in depth with the types of procedures that they can do as they've revamped it. But yeah, it does uh, anything that you would consider laparoscopic. So it's like minimally invasive surgery, meaning that uh, it's, you know, they're not cutting you open from sternum to belly button. They, they'll do hernia repairs, they'll do gallbladder removals, they'll do hysterectomies. They even do bariatric surgery, right? So where somebody needs to lose weight, they take up parts of the stomach or they'll redirect the stomach. So there's robots that do that. And that's the type of robot that we have. They recently came out with uh, orthopedic robots. So that'll help do total joint replacements. So for knees, shoulders, hips, things like that, uh, not shoulders actually yet, but knees and hips, but that's what we have. So it's, it's not the robot doing the surgery. So that nobody freaks out. It is, it's, it's surgeon guided, mm -hmm. right? So it's a robot with arms and the surgeon sits at a console, like kind of like playing a video game you guys exactly doing are you checking in on like the clinical support teams new technology coming in or we start with an asahi bowl so so i'll, I'll give you just this brief day-to-day -day for myself and then and then rocky can kind of explain before we were both were promoted to co-ceos uh, i was the coo of our company right so chief operating officer uh, my responsibility strictly was on the operations of our company so uh, Anything that had to do on the clinical aspect, anything that had to do, um, well, I want to say not just clinical. So anything with the surgery centers, I typically, it's my responsibility. I have my teams that work under me, but there's a multitude of events that go into not just surgery, right? So there's a big compliance aspect of it that we are working on. We're constantly, yeah, looking at recruiting. When you say looking at new technologies, yes and no. Right. So we're looking at new advancements in surgery to make sure that we're kind of in the forefront, but we need to have the surgeons to be able to perform that type of surgery. So it's, it's a fine tuning of saying, Hey, do we have people that will, will be able to use this technology if it involves surgical procedures or if it's advancement of our actual clinical staff, it's make sure that we're, we're putting the best foot forward with them. So that's the, in a nutshell, that's what I do. Rafi, do you have any current responsibilities you need to check off every single day? Definitely. Um, so I was focusing, I am focusing on all the financial operations. So everything has a dollar sign on it. Look at it. So you, you walk in every morning, you check, check the cash position of the company, you know, make sure everything's running smooth over there. There's no, no, no major problems. You know, you have projects that kick on and off, you know, I like to categorize them into two, two, two groups. You have a defensive category of projects and offensive category of projects. So defensive stuff is really inefficiencies, um, you know, flaws in system designs, you know, flaws in processes or whatever. And, and, you know, you hear about these as you walk through the floor, or as you communicate with different people in meetings and say, okay, well, let's sit down together, pull in all the stakeholder, typical project management stuff pulling all the stakeholders, identify those problems, and you build in a workflow to fix it. And so different teams come into play there to, to do that, depending on what the problem is. So that's, that's kind of defensive category of stuff. That the offensive stuff has really moved into M&A activity. So we're working on, you know, growing. So working on acquiring different sites, working on financing um, those those new newly acquired sites. 
and just growing from where we are today to what, where we're targeting to be. Rafi, I know you learned a lot on your own about how to be a CFO, a CEO, how to run a company, and you taught yourself almost everything you needed to know to become successful. Do you have any advice for somebody who might be interested in personal development and how to hold yourself accountable or even just know where to start? Um, read. Read a lot. I, identify what you're trying to do, hone in on it, and, and make sure you know how to sift through all the resources that are available to you to get to that answer. There's nothing special about it. You know, I, I, I just put in a little bit more time because I don't have a formal background or formal training. Uh, so just put a little bit more time and uh, you, you just become really efficient in sifting through material. So, but you know, the key players here are the, the professionals that are in the field. So, you know, for me with working on finance, you know, I'll, I'll talk with, you know, colleagues in investment banking. I'll talk with colleagues that are CPAs, CPAs that actually work for the company. Uh, I work closely with attorneys that kind of guide me through a lot of these things. And they're just confirming the things that I'm reading elsewhere or seeing them on YouTube. Even you can get on YouTube and there's a lot of free material there. So, you know, getting a whole encyclopedia of books as, as it relates to uh, gap, for instance, or anything else. So, so that's essentially it, you know, Alec and I need to get a little summer book club going. Yeah, that's been our goal for a while. <laughs> I, I will. I, I want to just touch on that. For some people, and I've noticed that I'm Rafi's all about the reading aspect of it, right? And and it's worked for him. I I don't learn like that as easily. Uh, for some people, I think it works fantastic, and and in some scenarios, it's great. I think that for those people that are also aspiring to kind of learn something that's out of their field or whatever, a lot of it involves critical thinking, right? And asking questions. I always like to say that Google was my best friend. Um, it doesn't have uh, all the right answers, but it has every answer you could think of, right? So you just have to kind of sift through it and continuously ask questions. A big part of my job is, is truly critical thinking. There is not really a right answer all the time. When you think of clinical and nursing side and things like that, sure, there's certain things of they're this, they're, it's that, you know, there's, there's a, a numbers to it, but it's a matter of deviating from the norm and making sure that you're being the most efficient that you can. And it requires a skill that I think is difficult to teach. You know, it's more of just ask as many questions as you can read. I mean, I read quite a bit too, and I think it helps, um, but learn from doing too. It's okay to try and mess up right? You're not, as long as you're not doing surgery or dealing with patients and that aspect yeah. of it. That's the Cal Poly slogan. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think that's perfectly fine. I mean, we've definitely, Rafi and I have gone through so many different avenues of trying something and then taking it all the way and saying, Ooh, that actually didn't work. So we have to pull it back and start all over again. And I think that's okay. I think people put too much pressure on things like that, where it doesn't work because you expect to be a hundred percent on it, you know, and you, you take a step back, you learn from what it is you did, then you read something else or you have a new experience and you can go from there. Mm -hmm. You have to adapt to the circumstances. I think relating to, to the people that you're managing, right? And when I, when I say that, I don't mean just uh, on a personal level relating to them in that aspect. It's understanding that what every person that you're supposed to manage is supposed to be doing, right? And not to be above it. I mean, as in the positions that we're in, there's, I'll go in and I'll clean a room if I need to, right? At the surgery center, I'll go in and I'll check in patients. I'll do all the paperwork. I'll do 
um, the, the janitorial work, I'll take out the trash, whatever is necessary to get our job done. But I started off that way, right? Just being in a facility and kind of running through every role. And I think that's what's important in operations management is understanding what every position is required to do so that you know what your expectations are. Because, you know, like, like Rafi's mentioned, even with setting up an infrastructure for a company, right? It's day in the life. I can tell people how to do their jobs all day because of what I've read in a book or a policy that we've created. But to know if that policy or that process actually functions or is efficient or, or they're going to properly adhere to it, I have to be able to relate to them. And the best way to relate to them is by, by getting down on the ground level with them. I think at times it's super important to relate to your staff um, in that manner. Caudalyn, what's it like to work with your brother all these years? Do you guys ever fight? Brutal. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a fine, it's a fine tuning of personalities. I'll tell you, it's, it's funny because people ask us that now as we've like worked together for so many years, but in the very, very beginning when we were still a really small company and we were just barely in our corporate office and Rafi was just coming in and I'd been at the operations level at the center for a couple of years and Rafi had just come in and on the finance side, uh, I, I thought I knew everything, right? Cause I was like, Rafi doesn't know he's not doing this. And it was, it's my way and not Rafi's way was the best way. So it was, screaming matches. And then we, we took a step back and we said, this can't function. This isn't the right way. And, you know, it's taken years, I think, for us to have an appreciation and a respect for what each other do. There's still times that we, we have to take a step back for sure. But most of the time it's like, I know Rafi needs a hug. So I'll say like, Hey, okay, I'm going to come give him a hug. And All the I'll time. The room. Yeah. <laughs> but, you it's know, a tug of, it started with a tug of war. Like we, you were, you're managing all the departments. Yeah. And then I came in a couple of years after you, I kind of was just hanging out and seeing, seeing where there could have, there could have been help. And because we're siblings, the criticism wasn't filtered. And so we would criticize each other like hell tug of war on different departments. And she would let go on one. I would take it over and then she would take it back. And then it would happen all kinds of all times shifting back and forth until it finally just the dust settled and now the division responsibilities where it's at, like the way it is. I think with siblings, it's important to to realize, like like Bobby said, we we criticize the hell out of each other, right? Because because we hold each other, I think, to higher standards, mm -hmm. right? So we want to. You're not just an employee that can be let go or whatever. I mean, this is our company; we're growing it, so we want to make sure we're putting everything in. The, I would put in that Rafi is uh, the the kind of finessing of our relationship right because we're friends outside of like work and then we have a, our brother sister relationship but we have a friendship too it was making sure to take a time to understand his strengths and then my strengths right and making sure that we both respected that like there's things that Rafi can do now and could do before that I can't wrap my head around like mm -hmm. these numbers and he'll pull up something on a spreadsheet and it's just over my head right like completely and it's not like I'm stupid but it's it's he thinks completely differently than I do. And I think completely different than he does. And I think it's having an appreciation for the two, two, the yin and yang, I guess. Caroline, has your guys' supply chain been impacted by the pandemic and what kinds of adjustments have you had to make? Yeah, I, I significantly impacted. I want to say, I mean, obviously when the pandemic first hit, right, we, 
the issue that comes in is we're outpatient, so we're the elective surgeries that everybody hears about. But you know, it's a oh, elective shouldn't occur during this pandemic and things like that. I think it was a really broad statement where people didn't understand what elective truly is, right? I mean, if you break a bone, um, that's technically considered elective surgery, right? But it's not trauma; it shouldn't be. So, um, but with the supply chain being affected, yeah, we were because we're not a hospital a lot of our resources went on allocation that goes from gloves to medications to N95 masks for sure. I mean, we were sourcing N95 masks from, from back third party companies to somebody that knew somebody in China and that somebody can get somebody from us from Brazil. It was gloves, N95s. I mean, we stocked up, I think at one point during the pandemic early on, I must've spent, God, I think triple the amount of money it normally costs us to stock up on N95 masks so that oh we wouldn't goodness. have to shut down. Um, I mean, well, it's not a shutdown. It's to be able to lose the ability to have those. And I still, I, I bought so much that I still have some in our storage room in our corporate office, right? Mm -hmm. So, but that way it wasn't a run out. It wasn't anybody to be nervous about not having them. Uh, but yeah, allocation still affected for us. It's, it sucks when you're trying to still run a business the same way that you have been. And the suppliers tell you, ooh, you have 20 of these that you can get this month, you know, whether it's a certain medication or a certain thing. And if you you use all your 20, you have to wait till it refills for you and then it goes to the next allocation, right? So we have mm -hmm. to we have to play a really, really fine game of of sourcing from every avenue that we could. Um, and you know, times like being okay with sucking it up for the cost that we were paying. And, and suppliers, I think, took it took not, I think I know took significant advantage of it. You know, we have contract pricing that we pay for a lot of our supplies that it's, Hey, this is what it's set at, at least for the next year, unless the contract renews and things like that. And all of a sudden we'd get invoices for these same supplies that we've been buying for triple, quadruple, like so much more times than that. And you're like, Hey, th this isn't on my contract. And they were upfront. They're like, yeah, well, we're in high demand. So we changed your contract pricing without notification, without telling us. And they were able you to didn't do sign it off on it doesn't matter, then they'll kick you off the contract. It's either you're, then you won't get allocation, right? So it's okay, fine, we didn't sign off, then you don't need to, you don't need to sign off, you don't need to order it from us either. You mm -hmm. can wait till the demand is lower. So the true effects of, of supply and demand were very visible. Yeah, that's nuts. Caroline, what was the craziest connection you had to utilize when you were trying to stock up on N95 masks in the beginning of the pandemic? Uh, to be fair, uh, my other brother um so our other brother is in charge of business development right like i mean with bringing on recruitment and physicians and during the pandemic he had a friend of a friend that's some sort of a billionaire that had some investment of a friend in this company 3m and 3m produces so many things right but they're one of the biggest suppliers of masks Mm -hmm. And um, he was able to, it's not some connection that we would have had whether it's our industry or not, but he was able to put us in touch with these like four different outlier people that had a direct connection with 3M that we were able to get our masks directly. Crazy. You know, it's, it seems not that outlandish, but it's, I would have never dealt with a manufacturing company from 3M ever. Mm -hmm. No need. So mm -hmm. it seems like you guys use a bunch of different connections. I want to ask, this is our toughest question. What do you think the biggest mistake you have made in your professional career has been and what would you have done differently? We're learning experience. Most everything, 
there's a ton of mistakes, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. And they come from you know, a variety of different angles. Could be from inexperience, could be from the environment, could be from whatever. So always mistakes. And you're always, you know, fixing them, not emphasizing the the uh, development of corporate culture in the right direction. So your labor force, not not building the culture around a unifying uh, thought or or whatever uh, a purpose or whatever, and and letting every everybody that's on the workforce resonate with that, so that we're all in alignment. I think that's the biggest thing because you're dealing with psychology here. You're dealing with a bunch of individuals who have their own identities and. You know, after the fact, we have about 150 employees now. After the fact, now we're talking about, you know, expanding and building on this foundation that might be unstable because of that fact. So we're now looking back at the brand. We're looking back at the culture of the company and seeing how we could bring it into unity. And I think that's going to that's gonna be a bigger project than just you know changing changing direction within about three months or so. It's gonna probably take a year, might take a year and a half, might take two years, might take turnover of certain positions because they just don't 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 align with with the direction. So if we if we would have known that from the beginning, that's something that we wouldn't have to deal with today. Mm-hmm. I think based on everyone we've talked to so far, one of the most significant things that they mention is the importance of your company's culture and it makes, it makes or breaks anything and everything. Yeah. So just realizing that now, right. Mm-hmm. And so that that's coming from inexperience, I guess, from my part, mm-hmm. at least from my part, I think inexperience, or at least not, not thinking it was a, as big of a deal as it actually is. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I make that real realization after I talk to and see different companies when I go like, I have friends in different places and I go stop by their offices or I stop by wherever and we have dinners together and I hear about, you know, what they're doing and how it works for them. I'm like, oh, well, this is very interesting. So we're definitely missing that. And so we're looking at it now. You know? mm-hmm. so. That's yeah. Great. And, and, you know, with that, I think one of the biggest mistakes I think that I would say for, for my side of it would be taking on too much. Right. So, so the element where everybody thinks, and I, I'm, I always say I pride myself on this. Like I can multitask, right? I can do this. I can do that. I can, I can, I can text and talk at the same time and write something in email. But um, Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot to be said for people that take on too much and, and, and never get to fully finish something out. Right. I can't Mm -hmm. tell you how many ideas and projects that I'm working on all at once. And that touches onto the culture of the company. Right. So when we don't, when we're saying, Oh, we're setting out to change, this process, or we want to make this thing better. I'm also working on 14 other processes and things that I don't actually see one through all the time. I'm not saying it's hundred percent of the time, but I think that creates kind of an aura or, or an, yeah, an aura of just mismanagement. Right. And who was it? It's a, I listened to a podcast, I think the other day that like with that Tim Grover was on, right. Mm-hmm. It was like Michael Jordan's uh, and like Kobe Bryant's. Yeah. I, re- I read his book. Same with me. Yeah. And, and he, he yep. says that same thing, right? So it's a multitasking where it's like people, people claim to love it. And I still, even now with listening to it, I still, I'm just like, I can do it. I'm so great at multitasking. But, I'm guilty of the same thing. Yeah. yeah you know, and, and to, 
to a I, point. I can't even talk and talk at the same time. <laughs> I, can't even do, I can't even do, I can't even do one thing at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it, but to, to a point, I think that I am better at it than, than most like Rafi, but there's still something to be said that I don't finish every single thing out that I set to do. Mm. And I think that's a big mistake in, in, in our professional aspect where I need to kind of shift focus and, and that touches into the culture of our company. It touches into our expansion and our processes and making sure that everything is being efficient. Actually communicating is multi multitasking because you have to listen and talk and then you have to think too. Mm -hmm. That's an all time. So yeah, so you always take a breath, right? right? Oh, Rafi always takes before responding and you know, that's like, okay, he listened. He's thinking, and then he's going to speak, you know? So it's a, it's a thinking circle. How have you guys yeah. made to improve your company's culture? Like how do we do it? It helps you. Yeah. Guys. I mean, how do you, how do you even start with a project like that? Well, well we used to do, we used to do, and it was good at one point. I think we just, let's say before 2017, in the past three years, it kind of chipped out. and COVID really made it worse because everyone's not around each other. But, we used to do fun things. We used to do, you know, hot dog eating competitions. That's a big one. I don't know. These are really elementary things. No, it's bigger than that, but that's the but, starting you know, point, though. It's it's way bigger than those types of things. How, how how are we going to go about doing that? It starts with defining who you are. You are constantly trying to grow your culture. It's a never ending thing. It's a never ending thing. I think it it starts with defining who you are, and passing that idea through the entire workforce, listening to the feedback on it, developing it, developing it. And that's that whole cycle that you ongoing thing that you just mentioned, I think. And again, I don't have any experience in this. I'm just, I'm just thinking about, uh, about how I would go about it. And so, yeah, you just sift it through and through and then, and then, you know, communicate with everybody thoroughly. You want to bring everybody into that truth circle. Mm -hmm. Right. Where everybody could be, you know, truthful and, and feel safe in their environment. And when I say in their environment, it's, it's in secure in their jobs, right. To a point that you don't want to feel that we're always looked at as the big, bad kind of corporate entity and the, the big bosses. And I think. No, but they look at each other that way. I think a lot of, a lot of people that are peers with each other in the company are battling out with each other. Like very mm -hmm. few battles come up to our level. I think. They're just fighting each other. They're standing in the way of each other and that kind of stuff. It's like, get along. I mean, you guys are working on the same team and let's figure out how we can make that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very competitive for some reason. I mean, it's a, it's become a very competitive kind of field and, and making sure that everyone understands that look, there is, this is all in one thing. We're all trying to reach the same goal here. And so as I said, bringing kind of everybody in when we used to do these fun kind of activities, you know, it, even as so as, as, insignificant we think insignificant but it's like throwing a company holiday party right mm -hmm. and covid really took a big impact but we used to have two holiday parties a year one was like a derby day that we would do the horse races and get the doctors and all of our staff together and we threw a big um horse horse racing derby day and everybody loved it right and then towards you know the end of the year and then too many it. horses died and then we had to not do it derby really day upset me yeah i was not oh. a fan so derby day is canceled officially but uh you know then our holiday parties and i think we didn't kill the horses by the way the track the track had some issues with them it had nothing to do with our party yeah not us activities like that to show everybody that you care and that you know it can be an environment of fun and that you all can get along and mm -hmm. you know from all these different sites and everything and you know we would we'd be right there with them 
<laughs> guys have any advice that you've learned in your career thus far that has just drastically helped you? Yeah, have the confidence that you could do anything, but be be humble enough to listen to people and know what you don't know and and do that thing. I think just fundamentally don't think you can't do something. You can. It's just don't be cocky about it and and dumb down your concepts too. I think that's an, that's an important thing, especially from my experience. You learn something, you know, all the formal terms to it, you know, you know, everything that's you know complicated, but dumb, dumb it down. But you know, if you're specializing in something, you need to know everything about the topic that you're talking about. If you're going to, if you're going in the direction of being a generalist, a project manager, that kind of thing, a manager of multiple departments, and generalist is your path, and, and you should know a little bit about everything. If you ever end up in a job that you're not qualified for, like me, okay, <laughs> um, at least at least initially it was this way. What I did at the beginning it cost a little bit more money, but it paid off. Is anytime I would work with people, like a new person, a new consultant, a new attorney, a new CPA, or whatever. Anytime I had that new person, I didn't know how they worked, that they were qualified for their job. I would engage them to handle something and then I would have a second person in the same capacity engaged to consult me privately. So I'll give you an example. We were negotiating something as simple as a lease. I've done plenty of these at that time, but I said, I'm going to, I haven't worked with this particular attorney before. I'm going to have one of our secondary attorneys advise me on it. So I engaged this guy. Uh, he's fantastic, by the way. I engage him. He starts working on it. And all of his comments, all of his notes for this particular lease would come back to me. I would review them with the other attorney, get the other attorney's notes on them and present them back as if as if I came up with all my notes in the first place. It built respect. It's like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. In fact, I didn't know anything. The attorneys are advising me. You know, it's like a little, little trick that you could use. Um, I, I do that with the investment bankers I work with, the M&A guys, the brokers or whatever. I have second people on, behind the scenes that advise me on it. They, if they know you don't know it, they, then you're more prone to manipulation. But if they, they think you have a team behind you that's advising you privately, then they might, they might, uh, um, I think, act with a little more integrity. And that's not to say that they don't act with integrity, but that 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 closes the gap of vulnerability if mm-hmm. you had a malicious actor in that in that space. We have a general counsel that works with us, right? And every single one of our contracts and agreements now goes in review with him. They didn't used to, so we didn't have general counsel, right? We used to review these things ourselves, do what we could, and and either sign on to these agreements or not. But I think, you know, with what Rafi's saying, with having someone now on our payroll, right, that reviews all of our contracts, every single contract that he sends back to us, I read line by line of his comments. And sometimes they're the same. You know, mm-hmm. I can send him a different contract, and I pretty much know now what comments he's going to come back with mm-hmm. on those but that's because now i've sent him all these and i've reviewed all of his comments and kind of understood that structure of it but there isn't one thing that still comes through and i go did he put this okay did he put this why did he put this and it started off with me asking him why would you want that why is mm-hmm. that important you know and and i wasn't nervous to say i mean it's not my job i didn't study law i didn't go into this so now having that that understanding of why certain you know, contracts say this and what protections these things are It's like, it gives me a lot more. Um, it, I'm in a higher position now to negotiate other deals, even prior, you know, to even getting to the deal point. So 
because I know exactly what it is that we're looking for because of what I've learned from our attorney. Mm -hmm. As Rafi said in the early stages when he was essentially unqualified in the very beginning, how, Rafi, how are you finding these people that were going to act as a consultant in the particular situation? Were you getting them in-house? I would, you know, go for references first, or we would just do a headhunt and we would look, we would talk with at least three different people, a typical thing, you know, you talk with three different people, you see how they communicate, you see how responsive they are, you look at their pricing, and then you narrow it down to one person, you would hire that person. And typically you'll find a good, you'll good, you'll find a good one that way. The thing is with you guys, you probably have such a big network of friends uh, that just going through your circle, someone in your friend group is going to have somebody in their family or their friend circle that's going to have an expert in something. So and anything, any job you go into, no matter what position you enter, if you don't know something, you could probably tap into that network and just confirm the approach is, is going to be good. So your, your output at your job, wherever you're going to work when you come out of school is always going to be great. You're always going to be impressive because you're always, you should always go and just confirm with somebody that knows it. you should have a mentor in the field. So if you go into, I think, uh, how like you're going into business, right? Mm-hmm. You're just studying business. So, you know, if, if you're, if you're going to work on an, on an anal- analytics team, or if you're going to work on, Supply chain, team. supply chain team and that kind of stuff. There's so many resources to guide you through um, understanding that. And so your output's going to be great. So I think just tap into resources for sure. Talk to people. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Young Enterprises podcast. It was a pleasure to have Kotalin and Rafi on the show. Stay tuned for more healthcare content dropping next Monday. Copyright music was used during this podcast.